folks, I am really honored to be here to talk with you today. Um, what, what a gift. Seriously. I, I'm seriously, I am thankful for being able to talk with you um, about things that, that uh, God has showed me um, about this series of sermons um, that David started a couple, three, three weeks ago. Um, I had a little bit of a little bit of frustration getting ready for today. Um, I had some great videos to show you, and I don't know about any of you, but I waited till the last minute. Anybody do wait till the last minute to do things that you need to do? Um, well, I waited till this morning to try to download the videos, and they wouldn't download. I mean, they would not. And finally I found some magical website someplace in Taiwan that would download them for me, but then they couldn't convert them into something that was usable here. And so you're not going to get to see the videos. Um, and and maybe, maybe I'll show them to David and, and we can show them next week or the next, but they won't have anything to do with the sermon. Uh, <laughs> I just think they're cool videos. Anyway, um, then, I, then I got here and the computer wasn't working and Roy was doing this reset, restore thing to try to get that to work and then I handed him my PowerPoint and I had saved two PowerPoints on there with the same name and the one he got up didn't have any words on it. It was just some nice pictures. <laughs> Four, four whole pictures. So it would have been a short sermon. But anyway, we got it all straightened out. Um, last week, um, this series, for those of you who haven't been here, this series of sermons is about spiritual growth and maturity. And you got a little handout in your bulletins, in your programs. Um, and it's just blank on both sides so that you can take notes. But at the title says, Growing Up. Spiritual growth or maturity. Think, focus, learn. Um, so, so the big concept is is growing up as believers. Growing up, and and sometimes I joke around that I don't want to grow up. I'm not going to be an adult. You can't make me. Um, I don't like the responsibility and the bad things that happen. You know, it's not optional. Um, and I never thought about joking around like that as a Christian or just a, a person in our community that, nah, I don't want to be responsible. I, I don't want to. And now that I think about it, I, I wonder where would we all be and where are we going with our church and with our lives and our communities if we take that attitude of, you know, I don't have to grow up. Um, probably the better approach is to think about and focus on how do I mature the way that God made me to be. Um, and the cool thing is, God made us in a way that really is good for us and good for everybody around us, and the maturity that He has for us really pays off. But that's not the reason to do it. Um, it's just because it's what God made us to do. So, three weeks ago, David preached a sermon on this, and two weeks ago, Adam did, and then last week, I talked to you a little bit. And, and last week's message that I gave was the last words of Joseph before he died he gave some instructions to his sons and to his heirs and 
and we looked at those things in terms of what is really important in life and what should we focus on to grow up and mature as a Christian. And there were three principles, and I'll just remind you about those. Um, the first one is, it's not about me. And that idea that it's not about me has two sides to it. Sometimes I might think life is about me because of all the things I've accomplished and done, all the positive sides. You know, look at me. And, and the other side is, sometimes I might think it's about me because life isn't going the way I want it to. Poor me. God, why isn't this turning out the way I planned it? Why can't it be the way I want it? I'm a victim. Somebody isn't treating me right, or this isn't going right, or this is sure not what I thought was going to be when I signed up. Um, either one of those is, is an option, and Joseph had either of those options, but he didn't take either of those options. He didn't, he didn't say in either of those. Um, so principle number one was, remember, it's not about me when we try to grow up as believers. The second is a principle to look forward, not back. Um, and Joseph surely had plenty to look back on. And at the end of your life, you don't have much to look forward to. And he managed to say to his heirs, look forward. And the third thing that he said was focus on God's promises. So I shared that with all of you this last a week ago. And, and then I'm going to tell you, I struggled. For the last week, I struggled with these very things. I got in a pity party. I had that discussion with God that I guess I have to give this up, God. It's not going to be the way I like it. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I signed up for. Um, I also struggled this last week because on the news, there have been lots of information about refugees from Syria. And lots of them are Christians. Um, and then I... I got some other news. I subscribed to a magazine um, that, that had news about Christians in, in Nigeria who were being murdered by a, another Islamic outfit called Boko Haram. And thousands of Christians being killed. And so I went online and I watched this video put out by an outfit called Voice of the Martyrs. And there's a Canadian version of that in this particular video you can find on YouTube from Voice of the Martyrs for Canada. And, and it's a, a family in Syria who lived close to where the, the radicals were moving in and, and they were told that you have to either convert or die. You have to change to Muslim faith or die. And... Um, this mother describes how she and her husband went through the process of deciding to tell their children that they might be beheaded for their faith. And folks, I'm, I'm sharing this with you because it was just hard for me to think about growing up as a Christian when I was embarrassed about how easy I got it in America. Um, and I was also distressed about how horrible it is in other places for believers. Um, but then, and we'll mention this a little later in the message, um, then I found another, another Voice of the Martyrs um, 
video. And it's, again, Christians in Syria, and they're talking about what a great opportunity they have to share Christ with Muslims because of this persecution that's going on. And so if you even want to look on that one, evangelism in Syria, um, look, look at that video, and, and it's, it's astounding. And what they're doing is they're being killed, and they're praising God and using that to convince Muslims that their faith is real. Wow, pretty astounding. So I'm not anywhere near grown up like as a Christian like they are. Anyway, here we go. We're going to uh, talk about the last words of another person shortly before he dies. Um, in this case, we're going to talk about the words of Paul sent to Timothy, and they're recorded in the book of Second Timothy in your, in your Bible. But before we read those words, I want to talk a little bit about the situation behind this book. Um, it's written by Paul, and it's written to Timothy. Now here's some background that you need to know about Paul. In the year A.D. 34, Paul becomes a Christian. Before that, he was Saul, and he's persecuting Christians. Um, and Jesus was crucified in 33. So this is about a year, year and a half after Christ's death and resurrection. Paul has been persecuting Christians. The Jews see the Christians as a big problem. And, and, and Paul gets saved and becomes a believer. Well, he couldn't just immediately go waltzing into Jerusalem and say, hey, Christians, I've had a change of heart. I'm safe now. In fact, I'm really good. I want to be your leader. I want to preach to you guys. I want to be your pastor. I want you to send me on missionary trips. Yeah, they, they weren't buying it. And so Paul had to go kind of into exile and do some really off-the-radar work for Christ in Arabia for a while. Um, and then um, a believer named Barnabas went and looked up Saul and brought him back to Jerusalem and introduced him to, to believers and as a result of Barnabas, including Paul in, um, they went on a missionary trip together. And that was in the years 47 to 49 AD. So by that point, Paul's been a believer for about 13 years when he goes off on this missionary trip. Um, when he gets back from that trip, he goes on another missionary trip with a guy named Silas. And that trip lasted three years from 49 to 52 AD. And in the middle of that trip, they meet a young man named Timothy. And Timothy becomes a believer and joins with them and travels with them from that point. And he really becomes closely connected with Paul. In fact, there's a point when they're in a town called Berea. And the Jews there are really after Paul. They're watching the gates to see if and they're going to kill him. If he go, comes and goes, if they find him, they're going to kill him. They let Paul out of the town and over the city wall in a basket and hustle him out of there. And Paul leaves Timothy behind to keep preaching and to keep working with believers there in Berea. Um, 
so, so Paul really trusts Timothy at this point. Um, in the year 51, then Paul sends Timothy to Thessalonica, where he preaches there. From 54 to 56, they work and live in a town called Ephesus together. In the year 56 AD, so at this point, Paul's been a believer for about 22 years. Paul has to write kind of a hard, stern letter to the church in Corinth, scolding them and trying to get them back on track. And he sends Timothy to deliver that letter to to Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians. Um, Then there comes a time when the Jews in Jerusalem get Paul arrested and and they try to have him killed and he appeals to Caesar and says I want to go to Rome and so Paul is sent to Rome and he lives in house arrest in Rome and and that occurred from 60 to 62 AD and Timothy went with Paul then and Timothy lives there in Rome where Paul's under house arrest and Timothy is kind of like like Paul's go-to guy he runs errands does things for him in fact we think that that Paul's eyesight was failing and Timothy may even do some of the writing of letters and then Paul signed them. Um, But you get the picture that they're really, really, really close together. Then in 62 AD, um, so 28 years after he became a Christian, Paul is released from that house arrest in Rome. And at that point, he sends Timothy to Ephesus, which is a big church, an active bunch of believers. And Timothy's job is to be the pastor in Ephesus. And where Paul goes, we don't really know for sure. Uh, Maybe he went to Spain um, and was an evangelist there. But at any rate, um, in 64 AD, there's this great fire in Rome. And the Romans blamed the Christians. Now, I don't know if the Christians were to blame or not, but let me take a little aside here. Um, In the last three weeks, I've heard lots of blaming of Christians, and maybe you've heard it or seen it too. Do you see all the junk on Facebook of blaming Christians for not liking red cups at Starbucks? You know, I think that's nonsense. I don't know any Christians who who were offended or said, man, I hate Starbucks because they use the red cup. Um, I think I think there's a lot of attitude to blame Christians. Um, this week, I've heard plenty and seen plenty of blaming the Christians for concerns about terrorism and about Syrian refugees. You know what? And some of those blaming, some of that criticism might be fair. I don't know. Um, my point here is that we should just not give anybody any reason to blame us. If we want to grow up as Christians, if we focus on on the truth of God's grace and love, then we won't give anybody reasons to blame us. But that's a little beside the point. The Christians got blamed. And so what happens now is the Romans want to kill Christians. Not just the Jews, but the Romans want to kill them too. Well, Paul ends up back in Rome in 57 A.D., And he gets arrested, and this time it's not house arrest. And this time it's not a convenient thing, it's a bad thing. And he's put in a prison, and he knows he's going to die. 
he knows he's going to be killed. And he writes this letter to Timothy, who he's so close to. And that's Second Timothy um, that we're going to read now. Um, so actually, folks, this is a book of the Bible, but it's a personal letter. It's written by Paul to Timothy um, when Paul knows he's likely to be killed. And let me give you a little more about Timothy's status. We know this from the letter itself. In Second in Timothy, the first chapter, the second verse, Paul calls Timothy his dearly loved son. And then in chapter 2, the first verse, he calls him son. So here's the relationship between Paul and Timothy is it's a really close one. It's close enough to where Paul says, you're my dearly loved son. And I think Paul had been in the role of father mentor for a long time to Timothy. And Timothy had filled the role of a good son. And they really were close and connected. All right. Well, how many of you have a son? Okay. Well, and we're going to be gender fair. It really doesn't matter. Son or daughter. How many of you have a daughter? Okay. And if you don't have kids yet, someday you might. Or someday you will. Um, you know, as I looked around the room before I got up here, um, this is different from the first service. But in here, at least half of you are younger than me. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. There's a few of you who are not younger than me, but I don't know if that's a good thing or not. And, I, and I, Some of you aren't to the point of relating to this part yet. But I want you to think about it. If you had a son or a daughter, or you have a son or your daughter, and you were going to write a letter to them from prison, knowing that you're about to die for your faith, not because you murdered somebody or you deserve it, knowing that you're about to die for your faith, what would you say? Well, that's the letter we get in Second Timothy. Now, before we go there, I want to have you think a little bit about letters. When was the last time you got a personal letter? I don't mean a business letter or an offer for a new credit card or something like that in the mail. A letter. When was the last time you wrote a personal letter? When the computers wouldn't work up here this morning, I said to Roy, well, at least we probably mostly know how to use papers and pencils nowadays. And I'm not sure. Maybe we're losing the art. You know, you used to write a lot of letters. How many of you ever went up in Grandma's attic or looked in the basement at the box of old letters that Grandma kept? Yeah, some of you are nodding your heads, and some of the others are looking at me with like, what is, what, how would that be? Okay, folks, I've got a whole box. In fact, I've got a drawer. It's not a box. I've got a whole drawer of cards and letters that Karen and our kids have, have written to me. And so someday they'll be able to go back and look at those things. Um, that's not why I keep them, but they will be able to look at them. Um, a personal letter, 
a real letter that you get from someone? Isn't it cool when you get it in the mail? Don't you enjoy getting that? I do. It's keepable. It's tangible. It's something that you can look at. Um, so I'm going to give you an assignment. And this week's, this week's lesson is more practical than last week's. But on your sheet, and I don't know how much room you want to make for this. It might take a quarter of a page or something. Somewhere on here, um, you're going to have room to write down seven assignments that we're going to get through this lesson. And here's assignment number one for this week. Write a letter. That's it. Write a letter. I don't know who you're going to write it to. Um, I don't know what you're going to say. Hope it's a nice, happy letter. Um, um, write a letter, a personal letter. Doesn't have to be long, but write a letter to someone. It's a good habit, and it's a good practice. So let's get back. What would you say to your son or daughter? What's the most important stuff on your heart if you were going to die and you were going to die unfairly? Well, overnight, I couldn't sleep, and that's not uncommon for me. And then, so I get up in the middle of the night, and, and I'm looking at my iPad, and I look at Facebook, and I have a cousin who lives in Stillwater, Oklahoma. His name's Robin Johnson. And she has posted a thing on Facebook. That's what she put on there. My Christmas wish is for my children to love and serve God. You know, I thought, yeah, I'm going to talk about that in church tomorrow. I, if I was saying to my kids, the most important thing in life, what would probably the last things I told you is, boy, I really wish for you to love and serve God. Probably it's what I would say. Um... Well, the more I thought about it, I thought the first thing I would say to my son or daughter in that circumstance was, I love you, right? Wouldn't you all say that? I love you. Hey, guess what? That's the first thing Paul said in Second Timothy. Second Timothy verse 2. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 2. My dear son, I love you. My dearly loved son. Probably the next thing I would say is, I'm thankful for you. Paul did that too. Um, the next verse, verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm thankful for you. In fact, I'm so thankful for you, I pray for you night and day. I love you, I am so thankful for you, you are so special to me, I love you. I pray for you night and day. Um... which brings us to the second assignment you're going to have. The second assignment is to write a thankfulness letter. Um, years ago in this church, um, there was a couple named Brian and Sue Kirk, and now they live in Cheyenne. And some of you know Brian and Sue. And Sue Kirk has a habit and, and some kind of a list and she goes through the list and 
I think every day, write letters and cards to people telling them how thankful she is for them and how special they are to her. And I get one every year. I'm on her list. And I see you nodding your head. You're on the list. And David, you're on the list. Is it not cool when you get those letters? I mean, it's like a little word from God. And what a cool thing. I have a a colleague I work with, Jim Burke, and he's the Chief Justice of the Wyoming Supreme Court. And he told me about a Thanksgiving tradition that his family has of they single out a, a particular person who has done something special for them or meant something special to them or that they've watched them do for others. Um, and they write a detailed personal family thank you letter to that person at Thanksgiving. And they rotate it around. And he gave me a list of who they've written these to. Um, but there's your assignment, is to do something like that. Um, that's what Paul did in Second Timothy. Um, it's a good connection for us for a Thanksgiving project. So that's assignment number two. Um, now, how is that connected to growing up as a Christian? Well, on Thursday night, I met with some young guys that I get together with here in Goshen County uh, about every other week. And I told them I was preaching this sermon. And I said, you know, it, it's odd because it's the week before Thanksgiving, but I'm not preaching a Thanksgiving message. And they observed it. John is sitting right there. He was in this meeting. And he said, uh, you know, thankfulness, these are guys less than half of my age. I learned something from them. Um, thankfulness, isn't that really at the heart of growing up as a Christian? As being a believer? Ah, what a great point. What a tremendous point. In fact, the more I thought about it, the more I thought being grateful and understanding that what I have who I am, everything about me comes from God, it's not from me. That is the key to growing up as a Christian. And that's kind of the key of what happens if you get stunted in your growth, the opposite. So, you have a third assignment. This is a Thanksgiving week assignment. Um, And that is, study some thankfulness verses in the Bible. And I'm giving you a suggestion of where to start. Colossians 3, 15 to 17. That is a tremendous section. In fact, I'll just read it to you real quick. Um, maybe. Yeah, here it is. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three little verses really summarizing what we do, how we get along with each other, how we exist together. And thankfulness is at the heart of each one of them. Um, So, there's your third assignment. Study some thankfulness verses. All right. Um, So, if I were writing this letter to my son, as I know I'm going to die, 
I would say I love you. I'm thankful for you. And then the third thing I'd say is, I want the best for you. I remember doubting that on my, on, on my parents' part. I remember thinking, you guys don't really want the best for me. I know what's best for me. Boy, do I regret that. What nonsense. Anyway, now that I'm a dad, I, I know how that feels. I want the best for you. And that's what I would write. And guess what? That's exactly what Paul wrote here. I want the best for you, so here's some advice. Um, some advice about growing and maturing in, as a Christian because really in life, that's best for you. And there's lots of examples of Paul's advice throughout Second Timothy, and, and we don't have time to go through all of them. Um, it, but here's some little highlights. If you want to study some more of this, this book later um, in the week, Verse 7 of chapter 1 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound judgment. Man, what good advice. Remember the situation that God has put us in. Um, first verse of chapter 2, the section we're going to focus on today, says be strong. Be strong in grace. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 16 of chapter 2 says, you know what, stay out of gossip and chatter, and quarrels, and nonsense among people. Boy, is that good advice from a parent to a child, huh? Um, verse 22 says, when you have all these options in life, pursue these things, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Four things. Man, we could make a whole sermon about those. And when that, That's great parental advice. Um, chapter 2, or 3, verse 2 says, look out for people with bad attitudes and bad behavior. Parents, we don't ever say that. Be careful who you hang around with. Um, that's, that's all. There, there's tons of this kind of stuff. Well, today I want to share with you some verses and some lessons that I got from the middle of that letter, from chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, about maturing and growing as a Christian. Um, so let's read those. I mean, here they are. They're up on the, on the board, and you can read along. And this is from the New International, the newest version of the New International. Um, I think I'll just turn around and read it from up there. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect 
that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And boy, that's the wrong spelling of reign. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So those are the verses we want to get our points for. And there's three points. Think, focus, learn. Um, There's a little bonus material that I want to give you before we get to those three points first. Um, And they're from a little bit earlier in the chapter. Bonus number one is that first verse, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's advice that Paul is giving Timothy. Now the verb is be strong. And in the Greek, then that's what this is written in. The be strong is the kind of verb that connects the action with the object of the action. The two necessarily go together. It's kind of like saying, wash the dishes. You, you need to know what you're washing and the dishes are connected in this concept with, with washing something. So be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus really connects that statement to be strong with the concept of Jesus' grace. It's like saying, His grace makes you strong. Rely on it. Use it. Develop it. Um, So here's the little bonus, I think, for us. Kind of an instruction on growing up as Christians. Have a lot of grace. A lot of grace. Be strong with grace. Now, how do you do that? One way is to just focus on God's grace to us. And boy, we can do lessons and lessons and lessons on God's grace to us. On how incredible it is that God loves us and saves us and provides for us in spite of what we do. We don't deserve it. I mean, what a great thing. And the second point for us from this is give a lot of grace. Extend a lot of grace. Be gracious. Um, And maybe a lesson for me with my kids, I don't know. Um, Anyway, there's a little bonus. Be strong in Christ's grace. Second little bonus. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to, or faithful persons, um, is the new international. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The little bonus from this is when you mature as a Christian, you ought to be reproducing. Let me give you a little background for myself in this church. Karen and I were newly married, not very long, out of law school, been in Sheridan for one year. We moved back to Torrington, and we're looking for a church. This is 1980? I don't know, probably about then. And we came to this church, And actually, in those days, this church didn't meet here. This building wasn't even here. The church met at a plumbing shop downtown. And and you guys should have seen this. I mean, we had two before walls with plywood up and for little dividers for a Sunday school room in the back for kids and all that. And Karen and I were so welcomed and so included into this church 
that it became our family. And Dixie Bremer, you're one of them. Um, Rich and Willene, you guys were there in those early days. And you included us in, and you loved us, and you welcomed us. And Johnny and Granny Baker, and of course Dick and Ruth. Folks, that's what we ought to be. We ought to be growing up as Christians and welcoming and including people in our group that same way. You know, young people don't, kids, little kids, don't reproduce. Young animals don't reproduce. Young plants don't reproduce. But mature ones do. And if we're maturing and growing as Christians, we ought to be reproducing and we ought to be including in. And you know what? I, I look around and I see quite a few that I, of you that I don't know very well. And I'm convicted about this. I want to be, it's my turn to be Johnny and Granny Baker. And to bring people along in this, in this church. And to bring people into Christ. Um, so that's a little second little bonus from 2 Timothy. The third bonus is found in verses 4 to 6. And you get an example of a soldier and of an athlete and of a farmer. And those examples, the point of them is that being a Christian and growing up as a Christian isn't just an overnight thing. It's not just an instantaneous on their thing. It's a long-term pursuit. You don't sign up as a soldier and then say, but, but I don't have to go through the campaigns. I don't have to be deployed. I don't want to follow what the commander has for me to do. You don't start a crop as a farmer and then say, I don't care about irrigating it. <laughs> yeah, well, Russell, you know what would happen if you didn't care about irrigating it. It would die. Um, you wouldn't get a crop. You don't start a race as an athlete and not think about the rules say you've got to finish. We talked about this last week. You know what? God didn't put us here just to start the race, folks. And starting the race is, is huge. I want everyone in here to be saved. But starting the race isn't what it's... Well, that is what it's all about, but God put us here to finish the race. It's a long-term thing. And it's not easy. It's hard, stinking work. It's like being a soldier. It's like being in a, in a race. It's like being a farmer. Irrigated farmer. <laughs> some, some farmers... Boy, you know, I met a guy from Indiana and all he did was plant the corn and then go back later and harvest it. I, that's not fair. Anyway. So those are little bonuses. Now let's go to the heart of today's lesson. Think, focus, learn. Um, in verse 7, Paul instructs Timothy, it's a, he says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Okay, the word reflect there um, doesn't mean... Sometimes we would say, let's take a moment of reflection in silence for this 
something or something. It doesn't mean just some casual emotional thought. Think a nice warm fuzzy about it. The word reflect there really means cogitate on it. It's the best word I can come up with. It means analyze it. It means engage your brain. It means think about it. Work on it mentally. Engage yourself with this. And then Paul says, reflect or think about what I'm saying. Now, Paul isn't, he's not saying my words, Paul's words, are so special. Really, for us, the application for us is, Paul knew this letter was written to his son, Timothy. But he also knew this letter was going to be read widely. And he also knew, I believe, Paul knew that what he was writing was scripture. A little later in this same book, he says, all scripture is inspired by God, and is God breathed. Um, The application for us, he says to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying. The application to me is he's saying, Keith, engage your brain in the Bible. Think about God's word. When you read something, don't just, oh, that looks nice. Or that made, that made me feel good today. Or that I didn't understand that. In fact, he's kind of saying, if you don't understand it, figure it out. Engage your mind. Think about what God has to say for you. And there is a big key, I think, to spiritual growth. Um, The second half of that verse, what does it say? For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. That's an interesting promise, folks. So this is kind of like a two-way street. God says, look, your job, my job... Your job, Keith, is to investigate this. Your job is to work on this. And God says that my job is, I will illuminate it. By my spirit, I will help you understand it and apply it. And you know what? I don't know. Those of you who have been believers and are mature, have you ever seen this over and over and over again? There's something new that comes up from a scripture passage that meets exactly what you need that day. Um. This this is a tremendous principle about spiritual growth to me. Do you guys know about Winnie the Pooh and what Winnie the Pooh says about thinking? Anybody know the quote? Winnie the Pooh says, Sometimes I sits and thinks, and sometimes I just sits. Folks, I've got to confess to you. Sometimes I sit out there in that same role where David and Cheryl are, probably in that same chair as you, David. You got my seat today. Um, and David will be up here talking, and sometimes I just sit. Or sometimes I will think about it during the sermon and take some notes. And then all week long, I just sit. And I come back the next Sunday, and I open up my Bible, and there's those notes. Huh. Um, I want you to know that that my heart and I know David's heart and actually I know God's heart as our Father is for us 
to think about these things, to put these truths in our hearts. And it's not just automatic. It's not like just putting the Bible under your head at night, when you, under your pillow, and it will get in there by osmosis. Got to think about it. Um, Got to engage ourselves with Scripture. Um, I want to give you a little an, another passage of Scripture. It's from Psalm 19. This is an acrostic you can use sometimes. The Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. If you want the instruction manual for life, here it is. We ought to treat it that way. Of course, us guys would not want to read the instructions. We'd try to figure it out and put it together wrong several times. Um, and then ask our wives, where's those instructions? Yeah. Um, Basing instructions before leaving earth. We don't have time today, as much time as I wanted. I wa- wanted to go through Psalm 19 in, in, in detail, verses 7 through 11, but just let me share some points from verses 7 through 11 in Psalm 19, and then you can look at them later. Um, this is what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All are righteous. Folks, I don't know about you. And and there's another another line in there that's omitted from this one about the statutes of the Lord are light. They light up your eyes. Um, Think about this. This is true of God's Word. You ever feel like your soul needs refreshed? There's the place to go get refreshed. You ever think you need wisdom? Or that you're simple? The true source of wisdom, there it is. You ever want to rejoice in your heart? Do you know what really makes you rejoice in your heart? There it is. You ever feel like nothing lasts? Nothing works? I'm just spinning my wheels, vanity of vanity, all is vanities? God's Word endures. And His truth, and actually what He has planned for us, is forever. The decrees of the Lord are, right, are all righteous. You know, when I'm thinking about politics and the world and how bad and wrong everything is, if I just go to the Bible and focus on what is right and good, the answers are there for me. So back to Second Timothy. The point is to be thoughtful as you consider God's Word. Think about it. Engage your brain. And and sometimes you'll run into folks who say that the key to being spiritual and to having faith is to rely upon your heart and not your head. That's not right. That's just not right, folks. That, that amounts to saying rely on your emotions and feelings instead of your brains. In Scripture, when, when the word heart is used... Um, 
trust in the Lord with your whole heart. It means the whole person. It means the source of being inside of you. And, and it's really not correct to take out the intellect or the emotions. Um, that, that's all part of you. Engage, your, engage our brains. Um, so I have an assignment, assignment number four. Make a plan to think about Scripture. Now, for some of you, this is you already do it, and some, for some of you, this will be a new challenge. How do you do that? How do you think about Scripture? Um, maybe just make some personal time and go over these notes. Or maybe go online and listen to a sermon. Or maybe um, get a devotional and read it. Only when you read a devotional, don't just read it. Work on those words a little bit. Work on the, just like we're doing here. You know, think about it, folks. We're in on one word. Reflect in Second Timothy seven, and we're putting to practice what God has said in that one word. Reflect. How do we put that into it? That this is an example. Figure, make a plan for how you do it somehow. Um, a good way. A good way to make a plan to think about Scripture is to find a way to talk to somebody about it. Have a cup of coffee and talk about the sermon or about something else. Billy Sunday, famous preacher a long time ago, had this little formula that he recommended to people. And it was, it takes three 15-minute periods every day. For 15 minutes, talk to God. That's prayer, right? For 15 minutes, listen to God. Okay, how do you do that? Primarily, you do that by reading His Word. And then for 15 minutes, talk to some other person about your conversation. That's a pretty good formula. You know what? I can do that. I can put that into practice. Some other ways, maybe get involved in a Bible study group. You know, it, 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 you're just getting the scratching the surface if you come here on Sunday morning, folks. I, you know, I told you about this church becoming our family. The primary way that did, that happened, was on Sunday night, getting together with Russ and Holly and Dave and Cheryl and Betsy and Allen, and we had this Bible study group. And that's the primary way where we really build those relationships and you pray for each other and you share life together and you become part of a family together. And you grapple with the truth in God's Word. And you figure out ways to put it into practice and to grow up as a Christian. Um, by the way, if guys, if there's young guys that want to get in a group, come talk to me. I know, I know a group. And if there's some old guys that want to get in a group, come talk to me. I know of a, an old guys group. And, and, and actually, I know some couples groups Guys, couples groups, folks, are, are great ways to go for this. Um, okay. There's your assignment number four. All right. Second point. In verse 8 of chapter 2, Timothy says, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Okay, so from verse 7... Um, I'm making the point for you to think. Use your brains. In this one, Paul says to Timothy, remember. 
And, and his point isn't just remember it like, I think you will forget this. Just remember some historical fact. Really the point of this word is, I like focus better. It's think about it. Focus on it. Key in on this point. Um, and key in on what point? On Christ raised from the dead. Listen, folks. There's a lot of good stuff in the Bible. And there's a lot of good stuff out there in life. And there's a lot of good challenges we have. But our focus, the center of everything, has to be Jesus. And all the rest of it falls into place and makes sense then. And what just about Jesus? Jesus raised from the dead, descended from David. And, and, and really what, the way I, I'm going to explain that to you is, for me that means Jesus was God. He came here and was crucified for my sins. He was raised from the dead. And, and because he's raised from the dead... I know that God's going to raise me, that I will have eternal life with Him. There is the key. That's at the heart of the whole thing. It says, think about Scripture, and at the heart of it, focus on this truth. The key for us to mature as Christians is to remember that. You know, we can't ever... There's a lot of people who want to say Jesus was just a good teacher, a guru, lots of other ways... To heaven, um, but but the point is, uh, the focus of all of us being here is Christ is God and is raised from the dead. So assignment number five, I'm going to give you a memory verse. Memorize First Corinthians fifteen three and four. Um, I get this memory verse from Moana. If you ever want to know the essentials of life. The most important truths in the Bible. Just go get the Awana memory list. Um, all our little kids learn this stuff. Um, and this is a big one in Awana. And it, and it should be. It should be a big one for all of us. Listen to this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the primary thing. That's what that says. This is the most important thing. That, he was, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. There it is. It's fun to hear little kids say that and commit it to memory. And it ought to be at the heart of our focus. So that's point number two. Think, focus, and now we're up to the last point, which is learn. And, okay... Hmm. which is I've lost. Okay. We're going to get on the, on the learn thing from verses 9 to 13. And in learn, 9 to 13, Paul says, therefore, because of this, because of this thought process and focus, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. You know what he's saying is, why do I put up with this stuff? Why have I put up with being beaten? Why am I going to my death now? It's so that others will become believers, will join us in heaven. That's why I do it.
that's a hard thing for me to think about Paul saying you know suffering bad things happening to me have a good result God uses them at the end to help save people to help people become Christians but you know what think, focus, learn the learn part is that that's true for us it's a lesson he's saying Keith you've got to learn this you want to grow up as a Christian growth comes a lot of the time from hard stuff I don't like that and like I said this week I I thought the hard things that I have to face are nothing compared to the Christians in Syria or Nigeria um There's a direct correlation between suffering and the gospel. And you know what? Everybody has something. And in fact, I've been encouraged by many of your stories. I've heard them. I've heard things that God has gotten you through. And God has helped you with and been faithful in this. So maybe it's not such a bad thing. So here's your assignment number six and seven. Pray for persecuted Christians. You know, I just finished reading the book of Acts in, in my quiet time uh, last month. And there are a number of instances where the whole church or a whole bunch of believers were together praying for hours for Peter and John or Paul and Silas in prison for persecuted people. Maybe we ought to get together and pay, pray for persecuted Christians, but pray for them and pray a lot for them. And maybe contribute to funds. There's some great funds. Samaritan's Purse has a good one going on right now. And um, Voice of the Martyrs has them. And World Vision, a whole bunch of things like that. And the second assignment, and the lesson for me from this, you know what? We grow from adversity and trouble in our lives. Is share with somebody how God got you through. Don't just keep it to yourself. We've got to grow up. And that's how God gets us to grow. So folks, there are lessons that I have. Think, focus, learn. It's what God taught me from Second uh, Timothy. I really want to challenge you to engage your minds with Scripture, the truth of God's Word. Um, that is a key to growing as believers so that we aren't just all little kids and say, I don't want to grow up. You can't make me. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father, I am so thankful. I'm thankful first for your grace. Um, help me to be strong in it. Help all of us to be strong in your grace. God, I'm thankful for the truth in your word. I'm thankful for Christians here who were faithful to you in reproducing and in bringing us, tearing me along. God, help us to, to think and focus and learn from your word. Um, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.